Welcome to another episode of the Comrades Classroom Podcast. On it, we've turned the documentary The Aqueduct Between Us into a podcast episode for our listeners. The Aqueduct Between Us is a film project that documents radical oral histories about water in Los Angeles County, as told by the indigenous people of Tovangar, Los Angeles, and Paisanabe, the Owens Valley. This documentary was directed by Annie Mendoza, a PhD student in urban planning at the University of California, Los Angeles, and is guided by the knowledge, histories, and futurities of indigenous elders of the Tongva'ar and Paihunati regions. In the show notes, we will post the GoFundMe links to a few of the indigenous elders from the documentary and their families who are in need of community care and collective uplift. Please consider donating to or sharing one of the fundraising requests. Here at the People's Coalition, we send our love, gratitude, and thanks to the indigenous elders who have continued to lay the foundation for our struggle against settler colonialism. They are and always will be the protectors of our future generations. The Comrades Classroom is a political education project put on by members of the People's Coalition in North Orange County. To find out more about the work we do, please visit us on Instagram or Twitter. Be on the lookout for our website that will be releasing in the coming weeks. Solidarity to our African and Indigenous relatives. Excuse me, everyone, I have a brief announcement to make. Jesus was black, Ronald Reagan was the devil, and the government is lying about 9-11. Thank you for your time, and good night. having that dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you? But I was telling the truth. How many times have I told you you better not even dream about telling white folk the truth? You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot. You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now. I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know your left from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I will remain a soldier till the war is won. It was my idea of an oasis. People say Los Angeles is paradise. It's this beautiful, ideal space where the summers are beautiful, the winters are fresh. And I always ask people, if it's a paradise now, can you imagine it then? The people that would run along the Los Angeles Basin or that would find themselves there at some point in time, it would be the Tongva. 
Tongva territory is the entire LA Basin. Then we have the four Channel Islands, right? The Catalina, San Nicolas, San Clemente, and Santa Barbara. Those are our four islands. If you go back in time, many areas in Los Angeles were very well-rounded. All of the Los Angeles County area, it had plenty of water, which is why we lived there. It's a delicate balance of water to everything. It sustained the people. We understand that life begins in water and that life needs to continue with water. Water in Tongva is pa'ar. And one of my favorite phrases, um, I'm a saltwater person. So for me, muma ahiko is breath of the ocean, spirit of the ocean. And for me, that always has resonated. You know, we don't think about it, but it was was a privilege, and they knew that. Maybe in some aspects, realizing that maybe one day it wouldn't always be so. People say it's tough being Indian these days, you know, and I tell them, try being a LA Indian. <laughs> you know, we're invisible. Pre-contamination, the Tonga were one of the largest, if not largest, tribe in Southern California. Once they came, the shock was immediate. By the time the Spaniards got here, they were a well-oiled machine. They knew what they were doing. It was your usual they move in, you know, and we have to die story. There was so much life in this valley. Explorers that came here, they actually wrote that these people have the perfect place. They shouldn't be disturbed because they live in paradise. And we felt that way. We had everything we needed here. Yeah, it's a desert and a lot of it is sparse, but we knew how to take care of it. We knew how to get the most out of everything. What we call our homeland is Payatunadu. It's the place of flowing water. I would venture to say that most people coming up into the Owens Valley from Los Angeles would not really have that same descriptor to call this place. But it is what our people called it because it was a place of flowing water. 
Our word for water is paya. Paya is culturally significant to us because it's life. We believe it's a life force. We believe it is life in itself. To us, water's sacred. We've always known that because when we spread our water, we created life. We had the river running down at a huge lake at the bottom that they now call Owens Lake. We called it Patsiata. There was just this abundance of resources. It's not only food, it's your clothing, it's your house, it's your medicine, it's your basket material, everything, and it all depends on that water. It's really scary when you see things start to happen that put that water in danger. At times I call them Los Diablos. The city of angels, but they don't act like it. To us native people, they don't. We're just a water resource. Most people in LA don't really understand where the water's coming from. They just turn on a tap. Nobody ever tells them that most of it came from up here. They literally sucked the life and the color out of this area because LA would not be LA without this water. We're just in their way because they, if they could, they would turn this place into a desert. John Macias, he asked me, he's the creator for the mission. He said, what do you think? I said, do you want me to tell him? And he says, hurry up before God strikes us dead. And I said, well, you know, Catholics didn't have a saint for murderers and rapists and now they do. <laughs> Spanish came to San Diego in 1542, and then the missions began in the Los Angeles area in about 1771. And from then on, life as we knew it changed completely. Everything went to hell. That's when gods were thrown in the trash, and women and men were, were killed, and our language and our baskets were burnt, and everything that human beings can do to each other was done. With the Spanish forcing their ways on us, if you practiced any of your culture, you were either going to be beaten or murdered. And in that fear of wanting to survive to make sure that your children can be here still and their children will be here still because we're definitely the kind of people that think about generations to come, it made them choose the religion, it made them choose the language, it made them choose a name from the Bible just to stay alive. The landscape changed drastically. It wasn't just the human beings that were affected. That balance that I talked about was completely thrown off. Several elements were knocked out of balance. And so that just sent everything spinning. They destroyed the land because they brought all these cows and bulls. They needed so much land to eat and grain that it kind of just tore up our land as far as natural forms. Water and food was only seen as, uh, as something to ingest or imbibe. The spiritual got knocked out of everything. It's funny, somebody asked my dad, how is that important to you? And he looked at him, I never had anybody ask me that. You have to have water to live. <laughs> so it's kind of an obvious question. But you think about that, how your whole life is surrounded by that water, everything you do depends on that water. 
So it's very much a cultural resource. We live around how to preserve and take care of that water. You could see that back a long time ago before outsiders came to this valley. The space as far as the water and the way that we used water and took care of water, it actually was disrupted prior to Los Angeles arriving in the valley. It was changed when the settlers started arriving. When settlers came in, you know, they really did see this place is open and is really ready and ripe for them to come in and just take it over and own it. The, the way to get rid of Native people always is to destroy their food supplies. And that's what they started doing. And when the cattle came in and the settlers and everything, you know, they started moving the water and putting up fences and their cattle trampling and eating our livelihood. Our people got desperate and were looking for resources and that's when the ranchers were coming in with their cattle. And so a family was out and the man was out looking for food and he came across a cattle that had separated from the rest of the herds and he shot it because it was by itself and he just thought, oh, it's lost so I might as well take this to feed my family. At that time, the ranchers came up looking for that cattle and they found him starting to butcher it and immediately they shot him because it was their property. And so that caused a big stir and it started a lot of small skirmishes throughout the valley because people were starting to fight and get revenge. We battled and we battled and our people aren't a warring people and we just wanted peace. I mean, if we were gonna be able to thrive in this place, it was gonna be through peace. And the military basically just said, you're our prisoners. That's where a lot of the massacres came from. We had massacres. There were several around the Owens Lake. There were several up on the river just for no reason at all, just come in and kill people. When Spanish rule came to California at the time, we were taken from everything that we held sacred. And that means the water. That means we didn't have the free right to just go down to the river and pray or collect the water as we did or irrigate it to our needs. It was usually meant for labor. We had to go down to the water and now use the water to help the mission system, the forced labor, and that also required water. So the relationship changed. When we talk about Tungwa labor, it's forced labor because we lived in harmony, right? With the earth, with everything around us. A lot of the things that you see in Los Angeles that look more from the Spanish time, that was our doing. We were slaves to these people, and being a slave means you do as you're told, and that requires building. They want to say that it was the, the missionaries, the padres, uh, the conquistadors, and then the rancho era. So we just get thrown under the bus when it comes to acknowledgement of our sacrifice, because without us, without Tongva, without our land, none of this would even exist. But then the Mexican came and kicked out the Spanish. And when that happened, we then were under their ruling. And still, if it was for us to survive, we had to do as they said. Everything that came in those two eras were definitely Tongva involved in the building of their city and their home. 
America would take over these lands, our ancestral home. What the United States of America was doing is they were contracting treaties with the native people so that they could say, you can govern this piece of land and we'll govern this piece of land. It wasn't a choice for us ever, but it's either you sign this paper or you die. So there was different villages that would congregate into what is called Fort Tejon today. At that point, they, they took us and they removed us. And if it was in the heat of July, the hottest month of the year, children, elders were all marched across the landscape and down into uh, an area just south of, of Bakersfield. It would be the head of the BIA at that time who decided he wanted the land for himself. So the paperwork, our, our treaties, they disappeared. Poof, they were gone. He could take that land, just like that, because that's how things were back then. It would be 50 years later that our treaty would reappear and nothing would come from that. Representatives of the city of Los Angeles entered the city in arguably very shysty ways. They very much came in hidden, um, disguised as local new families that were moving, you know, and buying up land as though they were going to come and live here. Only later on did the local people find out that they were um, under the guise of a much bigger plan and agenda. By 1895, Mulholland, Eaton, and Lippincott come here, but they wanted water for L.A. because L.A. outgrew the L.A. River. Once they hit the population of 250,000 people, they knew that they needed more water for L.A. to get bigger. And that's where they got the idea of building L.A. Aqueduct. In 1904, William Mulholland and Fred Eaton began purchasing land in the Owens Valley. In 1905, there was a bond that the city of Los Angeles approved to construct the aqueduct, so it all happened rather quickly. The construction began in 1908, and it was completed in 1913, I believe. And then during that same time period, in 1912, President Taft set aside over 67,000 acres for possible reservation for the Indians. Lands that were set aside for us were higher up on the fan and really were key places for moving water which is why they really wanted those lands for Los Angeles to be able to control. And L.A. in the 30s did a, a series of reports to document the conditions of the people that were living here. The title of it says it all. We were the Indian problem. Those censuses are very derogatory and belittled us and made it look like we're just poor, pitiful people.
the federal government didn't agree with LA's summation that we should move to a totally different area. And so LA, knowing that we weren't going to be moved out of the Owens Valley, began working with the federal government to see how they could exchange these lands that they really wanted for other lands. In 1937, L.A. had gone before the federal government to be able to work on things, and so Congress passed an act that they were able to and willing to trade land and water with the city of Los Angeles on behalf of, of the natives living here. L.A. said, well, we can do land, but we can't do water. And so the federal government went back to itself to say, how can we do this? And they said, well, okay, we can do this and the, the water issue will be settled at a later point in time. Well, <laughs> that later point in time still hasn't happened yet. What that means is the Big Pine Reservation sits on 279 acres of land. Underneath that land is groundwater held by Los Angeles. Our people called this place Payahunaru, place where water flows. When settlers came in, it was still a place where water flowed. Then it, it changed entirely when LA came on because then it became the place where water flowed south. Where we sit as, as ones that struggle with the future because how can you really plan for the future when you have question marks about what you actually have to be able to move forward into the future. It's like an occupation. You see these LADWP trucks up and down our roads all day long, parked on the side doing work. But city of Los Angeles is a couple hundred miles away, but it's here. You'll come out in the middle of nowhere and you'll see a big sign, property of city of Los Angeles, no camping. It's sad because most people of L.A. don't understand. All they do is turn on the water, take a shower. Even from the rich to the poor, they don't understand that every time you take water or use water, it comes from somewhere. And that somewhere it comes from, you're taking the life and the color. You're sucking those things out of a different area. And that really sad to me. Because how do you fight a big old giant? six billion dollar corporation which the LA Department of Water Power is. Every single environmental issue in the Owens Valley is related to the Los Angeles Department of Water Power's water grab. The biggest thing obviously is what is known as Owens Lake or Pahagua. The city of LA um, via the Department of Water and Power drained that lake in under a decade. Groundwater pumping in Big Pine is the most pumping that LA does in the Owens Valley. And so our water table goes down, water table goes down, trees die. That soil that our people had helped to create now becomes very light. And so it emits into the air, leaving us with just really a, a place that's becoming more and more desertified. There's arsenic, there's cadmium, there's dust itself and a variety of salts that come off of that lake bed and people are breathing this and it gets embedded into your lungs and your lungs can't get rid of it. I mean that's taking life away from us and leaving us sickness. I mean there's nothing 
else to say besides that. Honestly, I think they should be responsible for the people that have gotten sick since they've taken the water from the valley because they took the health of the valley and they've taken the health of the people. LADWP has a long history of doing things behind the scenes, not telling you the whole story. Even when they do try, you still have that doubt. And that's what I tell them, you've got a long history to overcome. They hold land and the economic power that's associated with that and hope that everyone will leave so that they can transform this landscape into a place that is solely for the benefit of LA. Of course, what we've talked about is this is home for my people and we're not gonna leave no matter what it's like because, because this is it, this is what we have. I can't say that we have a, a great relationship with, with Los Angeles because there hasn't been any real meaningful um, discussions and negotiations in recent years of how they can help remedy our situation that they cause. In the land exchange, LA says they have a moral obligation to the indigenous people here in the Owens Valley, but yet they haven't upheld that. You know, they're moving that water out of here as fast as they can because that's all, the same old DWP that we know Take as much as you can, as fast as you can, because God forbid, if we don't, you know, then we might end up losing some of it. As tribal people, we look at there's a balance of life. Everything lives in a balance. You start messing with that balance, things change. And not all organisms can handle the change. What are we gonna do? There's a point where there's no return. I always had this way that I thought about Los Angeles when I was younger that I didn't like Los Angeles. And now that I'm older, I realize that it's not Los Angeles that I don't like, it's Department of Water and Power. And what changed for me was I was on a 90 mile walk from Silmar to Long Beach. I got to connect with Tongva people along the way and I got to hear their story and also realizing that Los Angeles is their homeland. Just to learn that this place that is known as the place where the water begins or the water flows for us is also the place where water flows for your people in Los Angeles and, and all the people that call Los Angeles home today. They've been getting their water from Hayatunadu since the beginning of the city of Los Angeles. And so I think that's a real significant connection we have that not a lot of people are aware of. We think we live in very different worlds, but now this, this water connects us and um, we're both very disenfranchised from the decisions that are being made on our behalf. I have stories of our ancestors going to the water, praying to the water. Of course, we still honor the water. We still pray with it. We still have water ceremonies. It's a huge part of our identity. There was four sacred rivers, and today they're just cement pathways. So we can't go to the rivers anymore. They're polluted.
I mean, just imagine if we could get the Los Angeles River to regrow, to breathe again, how much life it would bring into the city. One of the main issues as an indigenous Tongva woman, I'd say is the lack of knowledge about the original people of this land, the lack of respect for the land in Los Angeles. Um, and even if people know about the Tongva, there's no like sympathy. There's no compassion. There's just like, oh yeah, I know about that, but what are you doing to fix the relationship we have? What are you doing to be an ally to us? Um, as it, I, sometimes I feel like it's a trend to support indigenous people. Even within the city, the recognition that we get isn't enough. It's not reparations. It's not, it's maybe a name on a park or a street name. Um, and it's things that people don't understand, that they don't know the history of. And even the stories that are told about Tongva people aren't told from an indigenous perspective. As far as I'm concerned with the United States government having a relationship with our um, nations, I don't see that. I believe if we had a relationship with them, there would be better conditions for our people. Uh, we would have our treaty land back. We would have more access to our sacred sites. Um, so if you ask me about a relationship between us and the government, I would have to say that there is not a relationship. And the way that they have always treated us, what they see as animal, they still do. They're trying to do away with anybody being a native. It's going to be, you're, you're native, you're, you might as well be Japanese, you have no claim to anything. That's what's happening for all natives. But here in California, they really, really want to get rid of us because um, um, they think we want something. You know, I guess it's because we're always looking at our stuff, wanting it back. I don't know. Uh, just all the reasons that, that they don't want to deal with us anymore. And uh, by us being extinct, they're in no hurry to, to recognize us. And I know a lot of us Tongva women are doing really fantastic, incredible, wonderful things. But it's because I'm looking real hard and listening real hard. And when we do get recognized for the work, you know, it's not recognized that somehow our identities aren't along that with it. Like, like I like to do things and, well, when I do bad things, I don't like that the tribe be taken along with me. But, you know, <laughs> on good things, that we are a tribe. And it's, it's, that just doesn't come across. Until people see it, they're not going to understand it. It's just like, who are you? My great-granddaughter two years ago, she wanted to do an extra credit project, so she interviewed me. And she asked me, what does it feel like to be a Tongva woman? And I said, I feel invisible. 40 years I've been out there, and I feel invisible. It's like a constant reminding people that we're here, right? And so she says, that's how I feel. And I said, I will not let you be invisible. It's kind of a miraculous story in that those few of us that are left of us have such feeling, such passion, such heart, love, desire, want, need to be who we are and nobody else. And I think that's kind of the story that I look at, the persistent native. 
persists. My great-grandmother was in that, marched all the way to Fort Dahone and made it all the way back here by herself as a young girl. I always tell people that's just how important this valley was to us. And it's who we are. And um, to me, uh, what they went through to stay here, I appreciate that because that's why I'm here and I love this place. And um, what they went through is, you know, I can go through a lot more. I know that people in Los Angeles want to do the right thing. Let's find a better way. Let's be real partners. If we say that we have a partnership with the people, then let's be true partners, you know. It's a, a give and take. Hear the stories. I'd say talk to the people. Get to know what it is you're coming to. If we don't talk to each other or communicate, we'll just be in our own little shells and then be all separated by that, by our differences. So it's good for us to know and be aware of these things. And I'd say just be more aware of this land when you're coming through it. It's not just a big desert. It's not just a little town you rip through while you go on your vacation and spend your money. This is a cultural resource. People of Los Angeles, a lot of them are just not informed about where their water comes from. So they can push for a curriculum that would help to teach Los Angeles people, Los An like kids in Los Angeles, where their paya, where their water is coming from. Um, so that's one of the first things that we can do is implement a curriculum, not only in Los Angeles, but in Paiahunaru as well, that teaches people the real history of water and uh, kind of see what happens from there. But also when we teach people, we educate people where their water really comes from and what it does to the people here and what it's done to the original people of Los Angeles, um, then start making those changes. People in LA can be better allies to Tongva in so many ways, um, like standing with us on the front line, but not stepping in front of us, not speaking for us, but giving us the space to be at the table and letting our words be heard, not just in land acknowledgements or open up my event, um, we need an indigenous person, um, but actually listening to what we say and then taking action um, and helping us move forward, creating momentum, spreading the word to your other um, non-indigenous friends, stepping back and raising us up as opposed to stepping in front. It's highly important that we include the native voices of the area. You know, native voices in general are good, the native nations of, of the United States, but the natives of the area are the people who are gonna know the stories. They're the people who are gonna know the plants better than anybody. And like I said before, we had a destruction of this river because people didn't listen. To the, to the natives of the area. So let this be a lesson, you know? The more you don't listen, the worse things get. So if you will listen to the native people of the area, whether they call themselves Tongva or they go by the names of their villages, if it puts them in the area, native to the area, those are the people that you want to talk to because those are the people that are gonna have the answers on how to bring life back the way that it should be. The people of Los Angeles hold a key role in this struggle because they're the ones with the say. They're the ones with the vote. They're the ones with the power over this entity that controls my valley. This valley is owned by the city of Los Angeles. The people up here, we can sit here and jump up and down and scream and holler all we want 
And they just look at us and go, whatever. The people in L.A., you vote for those elected officials. You vote for the mayor, all of the city councilmen, who are the ultimate bosses. So that's where your average voter comes in. Because you elected that city councilman, you need to keep him up to date. If you hear of an issue going down in the Owens Valley, get hold of your city councilman. Tell him how important this issue is. Tell him this needs to be addressed, this is wrong, and make them aware so that these things don't just slide through and nobody's even looked at it. That's where people can come in. The decision makers say, we can't do nothing about how the water's managed up there because it requires all those people of L.A. to change it. But all those people of L.A. are hardly aware of what is being done in their name to this water, to this place. And we, you know, we need those people to become aware so that they can tell their decision makers down there that they also need things to change on their behalf. Just like up here, we're doing with our leadership. Um, I, I see a generational shift hopefully happening down there where... They don't want things to be done in their name that is bad for people up on this end. L.A. is um, just drawing everything to itself. People don't see that because it's not in their neighborhood. And so it, it becomes this, this mystery. Where does the water come from? It comes from my tap. <laughs> There's not the consideration of where it's actually coming from. What is going to happen if... If all of a sudden water is no longer able to come from all these other sources, how is that going to impact everybody? I mean, it, things are so far away that by the time L.A. residents recognize that there's an issue, it's a catastrophe. And Los Angeles is on, just on the tip of disaster, and yet it doesn't have to be. I know UCLA has you know, recently released a study to show that Los Angeles can become water self-sufficient. That does a lot for a community when you can recognize where your source of water is and that it's local and it's not having to move hundreds or thousands of miles to get to where you are. Implementing uh, those strategies, it helps to provide a foundation so that Los Angeles isn't on the brink of wondering if it's going to be able to survive or not. Mother Earth is the only thing that ever gave us anything. She gives us a place to stand. All the food that grows in the plants and water gives us air to breathe, water to drink. You change any one of those things, the world's quality of life will change. People need to look and teach each other about the balance of life. You can have a great quality of life if you just kind of learn to live more simple. Appreciate the world. Love the world. It's the only world we got. You don't take care of mom, mom ain't gonna take care of you. That's how I look at it. Learn about Mother Earth. Watch a sunset, watch a sunrise and see how precious that thing is. I always look at the uh, astronauts when they go up, uh, go up like a space station and they look at Earth, they always say, it's alive. And it is. Earth is alive. We are just a small part of it. Paya is life. Paya is life. Water is sacred. Water is life. 
Water is a blessing. Water is life. Paya is life. Paya is life. Pa, water is life. Pisha paya. Paar iyo harin ha. Pare iyo harin ha. Paya is life. <laughs>
with a vicious demeanor. You think I cook crack? Native First Nations, for sure I look that. I'm wearing a trash bag under the hoodie. Sobriety's all it took me. Maria sent me. I still a microphone rookie. Great relations with the Wookiees. Be afraid to book me. To go on your stage, I know the pigs are looking. I write with a formula. Don't call me a foreigner. I'm in the quantum realm, quantifying the math. Islamic gunners, shield them as they clear the path. See y'all in the cockpit. I'm focused on the target where they're aerial or aquatic. The canines are robotic. Pay attention to my body language. Activate the laser cannons. Hit them with some body damage. This is for the corn that my hand that planted. Our advantage is the eagle and the condor landed. Mexican hand wraps. My knuckles are bandaged. I'm a wet back with a weapon. Better get back when I'm stepping. This isn't an aesthetic. People that look like me are seen as barbaric. My enemies wonder how I got the location. I'm the pilot of the spaceship. Sober navigation. Knee deep in the logo. And how wide is me apodo? I'll continue to play. Hide and seek with death. Them settlers sent a sketch and a journal back to Europe. Godless. With long hair, they describe me to justify their terror and claim to civilize me. Indigenous genocide. I'm the savage that remains. Boarding school dropouts. Every baby in those graves. Whoever hears this in the future, I pray that my people still exist. That we're not extinct. That we're not enslaved. That we live in peace and we're free from pain.